0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to News and Brews Sports Biz, our podcast series that advocates for the financial voices in college athletics and features new developments impacting the business of college sports. I'm
1: Ken Kurdzel.
2: And I'm Katie Davis. Joining us today as a podcast guest for the second time is Simon Dover. Welcome, Simon.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks for being on. Um, Simon is the executive senior associate AD and CFO at West Virginia University. Um, Last month, some news came out announcing Sodexo's $7 million investment in the development of a new dining club at West Virginia's Coliseum, um, which is to be called the Coliseum Apron Club. Uh, It just so happens that Simon was involved in getting this project underway, and we thought his experience could be valuable to all business officers as you continue to look for more ways to do more with less.
0: Simon, could you tell us a little bit more about the project and how your partnership with Sedexo was a foundational springboard for it?
1: Sure. Um, it's, uh, when I arrived in the fall of 17, um, athletics already had a relationship partnership agreement with Sedexo, And so obviously I immersed myself into that and it's one of the, my responsibilities is that relationship. And so i was fostering that relationship and growing it like you you would anything, and I'm a true believer in partnerships over just transactional or just relationships. So as we, I was fostering that, my first summer here in 2018, um, Sodexo came to to us, and they had a capital investment that they wanted to make with the uh, with the university that had already been talked about in some regard prior to my arrival. They approached us and said, we want to build your football training table. We want to um, go into that space and build a state-of-the-art facility for your football program. So in the summer of 18, they invested $3.2 million that was in the current contract at that time. They put an investment of, again, $3.2 million. It was one of the cornerstones and foundations to start our renovation of that entire football building, which we just we ended up continuing through COVID and just finished last year, and uh, in total, there's been about fifty million dollars put into our football support building, and their project was one of the first two things of renovated space. To this day, it is uh, they meant to build a showcase uh, um, facility. They host other Power Five institutions. Virginia Tech ended up coming to that space. They, they put on a presentation, I was there. And Virginia Tech, um, after that time, ended up structuring a deal working with Sedexo. Sodexo went down. Now does Virginia Tech's training table for football invested in their facility. They've hosted schools like Florida and other people in that space. And that's exactly what they wanted it to be. So when I got here, I saw that they wanted to be a partner and, and so I just continued to foster that relationship. And so um, I think it was right before COVID hit in the spring of 2020, um, I'd gotten to know Stephen Miller, um, their new vice president that had moved to this area from TCU. And so he had worked at TCU for a long time. And we just started brainstorming about different things and the ability to drive revenue and it just kind of, it it stemmed from something that had already been successful in that football space Mm -hmm. to then realizing the lack of those spaces in another facility. And and, and that's really just where the idea started in terms of those conversations. But I walked in the door and they were already a partner and then they made that investment and it was like, well, wait a second, these. um, And at that time, the university was still self-operated. Right. Mm. And so they were actually self-operating all their food service. And Sodexo's relationship on campus was just with athletics.
2: So as you and I chatted about this most recent project, you referred to it as your brainchild um, that you've been working on for three years. So I guess tell us through that three year process um, and how your skills as CFO enabled you to take lead on a project like this and grow it from that foundation that you just talked about.
1: Yeah. um, Well, I think that uh, as a CFO, you can choose to try and add value um, in that role. And I'm not a fundraiser, but at the same time, I am about building a budget. And the only way to build a budget and to grow a budget specifically is either reducing expenses or trying to find new revenue streams. So when I got here, I saw the inadequacies that were in the Coliseum and the age of the building, and we don't have any premium spaces. Our fundraising arm doesn't have any spaces to sell in this facility and and to convene with donors and a a gathering space. And so um, somewhere along that time period I spoke about earlier, those conversations with Stephen Miller, I said, you know, I don't know whose idea it was first, but I don't want to take full credit for the idea because it was a a partnership where I think all of us are are smarter than one of us. And so I started sharing the struggles here and he started just, you know, and that's how it was born. So I invited Sodexo to come over. Um, They actually bought a contractor over at the time that they work with. And I, we started to just kind of dream and we walked down into the space on the concourse of the Coliseum of where we would kind of blow out an area and build uh, um, an, uh, what we what is now going to be our Olympic training table, a banquet facility and a donor gathering space for nights of events for basketball. So that's kind of how it was born. And then COVID hit literally like almost simultaneously with these meetings. Like I I think we might've been in that stage where are we still allowed to gather? Can Mm. you guys still come over? Like I'd have to go back and look at my calendar but I think it was in March of 20. Mm. And so we never forgot that idea and we kept talking about it, but COVID kind of tabled it. Um, But an investment of that magnitude would take reopening the contract, right? And so since I'm the owner of that contract, concessions and all those things report up and are my responsibility. Naturally anything that happens within that contract kind of fell under me. And so I ended up being the driving force um, one because you're, I'm sitting on senior staff and, and, and an executive here and we're all working toward the same goal of growing our budget and and it's something that actually excites me and I have a lot of fun with and just trying to be as creative as possible. So we just started to talk about investments that we needed in concessions, um, in the concession areas, in the kitchen area, and then also um, over at football, because in football, it's the law of big numbers, you know, it's, uh, you, you have better return on investments of things that you do over at a football stadium than you might in basketball. And so part of the initial investment or plan was to invest some over at our football stadium as well. So. Um, hopefully I answered the question a little bit there and in terms of how that was born and evolved and Stephen Miller specifically um, and now Michael Dahl who works for us both spent time at TCU. TCU has a club that attaches to their basketball arena and football stadium but it was built by the donors of basketball and they needed a premium space for pre-basketball games. They also use it for football as more of an entry-level point because TCU has an immense amount of uh, premium options. And so this club for football is more of a lower-level club, but for basketball, it's their highest-level club. And so therefore, he started sharing ideas again in that idea stage of, hey, this is what we do at TCU. And I think I had recently seen it on a football trip. And so that's kind of how those ideas were born. And you know, West Virginia coming into the Big 12 had quite a few um, competitive disadvantages 10 years ago. Some of them we've overcome, but one of the biggest was the lack of premium spaces.
0: Yeah, no, you definitely answered the question. And, and again, it's a great, um, it's just a great story of a, of a great partnership, where really. Sudexo got benefits from it and West Virginia Athletics did, and, and you really helped to spearhead that. Um, so what kind of advice would you offer to your peers on how they can take leadership on any type of strategic partnership they have, but uh, something similar to this?
1: Well, I think that uh, first and foremost, I think it's it's that approach to the partnership versus um, just that relationship and being transactional. And so I have a lot of fun with it. And part of my, my game day responsibilities are um, I could wait and find and see the numbers on Monday morning from a football game, or I can be actively involved, right? So my approach in my career has been I'm actively involved. And so game day, um, I also have parking operations that report up to me. So I spend the majority of my game day either walking the concourse at football, um, walking into the suites at football, or starting very early in the morning in a golf cart all day out in the football parking lots, right, which parking at West Virginia, again, is a really, really important piece of what people pay, um, why they come to West Virginia football games is the tailgating experience, the whole game. It's what we sell and people get more upset about their parking space and their premium options in the parking lot for tailgating than they do uh, their tickets. And so it's really like I knew what mattered here and I decided that I wanted to be part of that and that's my style in terms of game day. And so I think it's just going out and getting your boots on the ground and, and then building that relationship. Then once the relationship is built, for example, then I think you can start to have contracts. And just because a contract might go out five or 10 years doesn't mean it can't be opened up and talked about and and made better for both parties. And then one thing I'd also like to share is in real time, our university had its own competitive disadvantages and it was a self-operated food service, as I mentioned. And so therefore they're looking and, and if the university doesn't have the capital or the debt capacity to invest in their dining halls, what's the first thing that some universities might do, right? There's not a lot of self-offs left because they all figured this out years ago that you can go and get capital investment. So in real time, throughout this time period of the summer to 2018 through to 2020, the university was going through the process of investing in their or wanting to invest in their dining halls and give their students a better experience, one to recruit more kids to have a better student experience when you're here. And so they started going through that process. So I was actually able to give insight into my relationship with Sedexo and advocate for them. But it was an open RFP. And we could have ended up with another vendor for the university versus Sedexo for athletics. We hoped, that wouldn't happen um, because you hope that you could find some economies of scale. And once Sodexo won the bid at the university level, they invested even more management personnel in this area and and grew their operation here, which in effect benefited us after that. And so it's done nothing kind of but enhance um, that. And so I think those are just some of the most rewarding relationships of my career is getting involved and, you know, early in my career at a very small institution, you know, you, you might not have a Nike deal, but hey, how can you go about doing something like that Mm -hmm. and, 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 and and starting to grow certain areas. So I've always gone out and said, okay, what are the external third-party relationships that, that can benefit? And it's the oldest model going in food service at the university level. And I said, well, why can't we really expand this at, at the athletic level? And I might've joked with you, Katie, like, most people don't have $7 million donors lined up at their door, right? <laughs> and, and we all realize that it's not free money, it's not donated. Um, but it is debt service off your books. And it's somebody willing to invest in your program at a time when you're trying to grow. Mm-hmm. And I would have been foolish not to kind of dig further and, and start to put together a structure with them that could make it worth work for both parties.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's awesome, and and you talked some about the benefits of economies of scale once they became partners with the university in addition to athletics. But what are some other benefits of just being able to do that value add that you talked about and and help to bring solutions to campus that align with um, partnerships that athletics has?
1: Yeah, well, immediately once the Sedexo won the. Uh, rfp and became the concessionaire here they started investing millions of dollars in campus right so then they had to create a relationship with a local contractor that local contractor that they've used for other projects is the same one building building this new club Hmm. and and Um, And also, before I forget, like it's out on our apron, we call it, outside of the Coliseum. It's near our Mountaineer entrance. So Club Mountaineer, for lack of a name. But Sodexo doesn't want anything to do with the naming rights. That's not how they build Mm. their formula. So they also give you another piece of inventory. And and hopefully in the days ahead, hopefully very soon, we might end up having a donor name on that club. Which will provide another revenue stream for hundreds of thousands of dollars annually mm-hmm. a year that Sodexo, they don't that's not part of their MO, right? That's, that's not what they do. So, um, but the economy, once uh, Sodexo gained, uh, again, that relationship on campus, they immediately said, well, our regional vice president should be headquartered there. And so that's kind of what brought the extra investment of their personnel. So um, over the last few years, we all realized that turnover has been hard for everybody. Um, in every position. And so we've been able to lean on central campus. Uh, For example, we had turnover in the chef at football. So until we were able to fill that position and during COVID, it was really hard. It was almost open two years. And so we were able to leave on, uh, lean on the economies of scale downtown. Again, that investment of their management that's come in, Um, obviously with Sodexo and getting their sports division and entertainment, as well as Everything else, you you get best practices right from around the country, and the minute you want information from how much is a hot dog selling uh, for from coast to coast to you know all the uh, you know all the things that come with that relationship, it just enhanced it, and uh, and then I feel like that um, it went from you know something that was a, an asset and beneficial to our athletic department to. Something now that Sedexo is in in every aspect of what we do, and then again another thing that you wouldn't know about, but we just opened up another three point five million dollar club at courtside level in the Coliseum that was funded through a donation. Um, we had a gift that allowed us to build an outbuilding for our Olympic sport um, medicine and strength and conditioning that emptied out a weight room that was on club lo- at uh, court level. So at the same time, this premium space kind of concept and question mark was happening and how do we add value to the coliseum and how do we create premium spaces we just opened that space um, and it's called club 35 after that was bob huggins number that he wore and the 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 donation that we received they wanted to honor him in some capacity so we're opening up our first club ever this year, right now, 22, 23, and we get to open up our second one next year. And so for our fundraising arm, they went from the dark ages in this building to the moon. And now wow. we've seen the success of that facility downstairs, and it can only hold about 150 people. The new club, we're going to be able to have banquets anywhere from three to 400 people. Again, our Olympic student-athletes will eat training table there and, and the, as well as a donor space. And we'll probably be able to sell memberships in there for at least 400 plus people, um, which gives our fundraising arm another sellable item, if you will, because we all know that a lot of giving is very transactional when it comes to tickets and premium spaces. And and so now we're going to have two in, the, uh, in uh, just under a year and a half that open. Well, I think
2: that's a great way that the stars all aligned to help like, build a lot of snowball momentum and um, in this area and and you talked about being an asset and um, I mean I also just think that this is really powerful that athletics is tied to an asset that's then been brought to campus I mean I think campus should note that and remember that and if you're ever going to campus with an ask you can kind of you know, subtly slide in. Hey, remember all this Sedexo stuff that that we brought um, to bring value to campus, and we always like to find opportunities where athletics can really articulate, um, you know, what they bring to the university. So anytime athletics has an ask of the university, um, it's a lot easier to have that relationship of a, a win-win back and forth. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's a really great benefit as well.
1: Yeah, and we, at a a project of this magnitude, we had to go in front of our board of governors. And they're very sensitive to long-term deals. Um, And this is a long-term deal. Sodexo needed the payback period um, to pay back their investment. And they have a gross number that they need to get to from banquets, from suite sales, from premium space sales, from concession sales, and the couple million dollars I spend with them every year on training table. Right. So they have a minimum number they need to get to and we had to go in front of the Board of Governors. And one of the things that we did with the board was we aligned it with the university's end date. And so therefore, we thought strategically that would be a good selling point that if for some reason they are re-RFPing or going through a process on campus when I may or may not be here still, um, that at least both contracts ended simultaneously so that the university and athletics could actually be a partner again when they both go out and the RFPs hit the street if needed. Um, our contract has the ability to continue one-year options, and, and we need those one-year options on the payback, but uh, it is a long-term deal um, and did have to go again, like I said, in front of board of governors and uh, you know and and I would be remiss in in saying that I, I also. We've just gone through a leadership change here, but I, um, I also worked for an athletic director in Shane Lyons that gave us the autonomy to go and value and be part of an executive team that was like, there were no reins in terms of being creative and um, everybody knew the vision in terms of trying to move forward so it didn't have to be a development officer's idea to build a premium space it, it could it could be anybody's right and then we all get behind it and start vetting it so um, that also allowed me to you know to do what I was able to do in terms of the the open mindedness if you will
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to take from that. Um, One thing I was thinking is if anybody from Sodexo was listening, the next school they do this with, they might ask for the naming rights. That was pretty (laughs) nice to to have that to be able to to have an asset and and go forth with that. So um, building on this, just thinking about dining opportunities for athletes and donors. um, Do you think that there are opportunities for enhancing the donor experience and for NIL simultaneously by like having a place where both donors and student athletes can interact with each other.
1: You know, it's interesting. You asked that question. I don't know. NIL is such it's, we're all still in the first chapter of the book, right? We're all reading and trying to, to learn. And I don't know if the second chapter has been written yet. Um, But one, one idea that we stole from TCU in terms of what we do in club 35, all of our basketball players have to walk through the club to go to where they're announced to go on the court. And so therefore, when the student athletes come through, everybody in Club 35 stops doing what they're doing and starts applauding the team. So before the team ever gets applauded by the arena crowd, our student athletes are engaging in effect with our donors and high-fiving little kids and um, and getting this big applause. So I'm not sure that that answered your question, Ken, but What these premium spaces are doing for West Virginia uh, at the basketball level are finally allowing our our development officers to get to know our donors in a casual, more casual game day setting where before when we didn't have these premium spaces, they had to go visit them in their seats, maybe go out and visit them at their homes or their workplaces. And so for us, it's it's really, really changed the the ability for for our our. Mountaineer Athletic Club um, development Mm -hmm. officers to go and do their job, but I know that's not exactly what you asked with with NIL, but we are looking, we're, you know, we're continually looking at those NIL opportunities for our student-athletes, and and I think that the more our donors engage and see the the student-athletes close up and, and get to know them better that, uh, I think that those opportunities continue to blossom because there's nothing like feeling vested and whether it's at TCU, walking the team, watching the team walk behind the glass wall through their club or in our club where they walk right through the middle of it. I think that it can only enhance the potential of that. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not sure what will come of this club, but, uh, it's, um, it's exciting just to see the renderings and see what it will look like from from outside and I think our student athletes are are going to be very excited that they get to walk into this space and and this is where they mingle with their you know other student athletes and and we have great great numbers at our at our training table from our student athletes they really enjoy them. you know the ability to go and do that and we don't we don't feed our olympic student athletes every meal right we have a different model um, strategically with them and what we do out of our nutrition space versus this space, but they, but they do, they do get quite a bit, and it's, uh, and it's, it's fun to watch them gather with or without the donors.
2: Well, I imagine you know if you have banquet space that isn't being utilized all the time, that's certainly another revenue generation opportunity that, say, you know your collective could you know, potentially rent out the space to utilize for a banquet of their own.
1: For sure. Like our expectations would be, yeah, we would want every single banquet that had anything to do with, with WVU athletics, whether it's a a women's soccer banquet at the end of the year to, you know, anything that uh, would be happening. Um, But yeah, it'll be a new banquet space in Morgantown and there's not a lot of them around here. We have one in the end zone of football, we have a, a big hotel downtown on the, on the waterfront that really has all the banquet uh, capacity. And so it'll be nice to have something where if somebody wants to have their wedding and, and then walk out uh, during the reception and get pictures on the court. And no different than if we have a smaller space that doesn't really work too well, but in the end zone of football and it's it's a unique space with good parking, and and we're hoping to really parlay that banquet side of things into an additional revenue stream. Um, and it's one thing that I've uh, been talking to Ren Baker, our new athletic director, about is like what what's our what's our capacity here to continue to have more and more outside events.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, Well, when this project was announced in the D1 ticker, uh, the article that was linked left little to be desired, uh, which we often see. Um, So explain how journalists could have better covered this story if they'd given you a chance to share your perspective before it was published and how your business office works with your communications team to best tell your success stories and enhance your brand on projects like this that's that's yeah
1: it's a big question um well two just to, to the to the first one at hand in terms of the article um yeah it was a timing thing it was uh it was one of those things where the 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 article we ended up not being able to have our voice to your point right in terms of the article that was written and so I think that there's been a and we're, in a, we're a higher ed institution, and these are sometimes students that are writing these articles, right? And they might have a deadline and think that somebody could be available as quick as they need something, right? And and I actually have another conversation later today. They're doing a follow-up story um, oh, based, on feed, based on feedback that we gave them because we said you published a story, but we never were able to share you know, even more and add depth to your story, because we do want to tell our story. So internally, we're actually considering um, doing something on our website talking about this. Um, Sodexo has actually approached us about just using our website more to showcase the things that they're doing in our training tables. And so later today, I have a conversation planned with the young man that wrote the article last week or two weeks ago when this came out, to kind of share more. So to the second part of your question, I work hand in hand with Michael Fregale, our um, senior associate for athletic communications. And when the article came out, I kind of reached out to Michael and said, hey, you know, here's what happened. I never got a chance to, to speak to this individual. And, and so he was able to contact them and in terms of an educational opportunity say, here's what your article could have been. And, um, and here's, you know, you know, I guess that's it. It's what your article could have been, right? And so, therefore, it was enough said out of our communications office for um, the daily, uh, the the DA, they call it the, the the paper here in town, to reach back out and want to do a follow up story. And um, and I think the young man writing the story is a journalism major or an undergrad student, or at least I I believe so. And so, I think that therefore we can kind of almost have that teachable moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're not smarter than them. We're just older.
0: Yeah. And
1: so, <laughs> Hey, here's what your story could be. And here's how big Sodexo is in the world of college athletics um, for Mountaineer nation. Here's how involved they are. We don't host an event without Sodexo being involved and whether that's Sodexo or another third party, that partner is such an integral part of everything we do from a small, simple banquet, all the way to a game day, selling a half a million to a million dollars in concessions. It's all done by that partner. And so that's what I hope to share today in the second go around. So um, my relationship internally with athletic communications, we actually um, communicate like this a lot, because as you know, in the world of higher ed and athletics, we get a lot of FOIAs. And so therefore, I work hand in hand with general counsel, uh, Michael for Gale, and, and anything. And we work together as a team to whether it's um, press releases or, or uh, articles that are going to be written to FOIA requests. We're all on the same page and make sure that we're on the same page so that we have a unified voice. Um, and I don't know that I always did that in my career. And I, that's really been helpful here to have Michael on my side in terms of telling our story. And with the number of FOIAs that we get, it's, it's crazy. And so therefore, um, that relationship's been really important. And that's how this all happened, was the article came out. And the next thing you know, I'm communicating immediately with Michael, because he's the one that had shared with me that they were reaching out um, regarding this project. And then I never had a chance to communicate with them before they published
0: well, I really love how that illustrates, you know, the strength of a great relationship with your communications director and, you know, the the, the financial side, you know, working there hand in hand. And then also, just like you said, you're a higher education institution and, and allowing it to be a teachable moment for that young writer, uh, you know, as opposed to just getting mad and upset, you know, yeah. hopefully this will make him a better journalist in the future. So that's yeah, I hope
1: that's- so. Hopefully before he goes on the record, I can actually like, <laughs> share share with him that, uh, you know, like, like- Here's what I've seen, and uh, and I think sometimes there's a tendency to, you know, the deadlines sometimes drive our and we get swayed into maybe um, not waiting or being patient enough. You know, I don't I don't know the exact uh, reasons behind all this because I haven't had that conversation. So I don't want to vilify anybody any, by any yeah. <laughs> means, but I do look forward to sharing this because for us this is huge. And when we, and and as we've rolled this out to our donors and, and the word on the street for the club that we just opened, I mean, there's been nothing but excitement and you want that excitement to kind of, if you're going to write about it, uh, get enhanced, right? And so, um, but when it comes to all the, whether it's financial information or anything out of my office, uh, we try and be on the same page because it's, it's so sensitive these days with, with all the financial information that's, that's requested of universities.
0: Well, oh, great. Well, when we started this podcast series, um, part of the reason for the word brews being in there was uh, the idea that Katie and I, as we traveled around to, to visit clients and others throughout the country, we always loved going to craft breweries and drinking a beer. But since then, we've broadened things and we talk uh, not only about craft beer, but about really any beverages of choice. Uh, and obviously, we're recording in the morning here. So coffee is always a good topic. and You know, anything, anything anybody wants. Uh, to talk about. So um, Katie, I'm going to kick off with you. What um, what brew are you going to highlight that uh, you've enjoyed here recently?
2: Well, I'm going to actually talk about one that I'm anticipating enjoying. Um, so Blackadder Brewery is a brewery that's right around the corner from our office. And every February they come out with um, a beer they call Date Night that's kind of aligns with Valentine's Day and they have a, a different spin on it each year. It's a Belgian quad okay. and it's one that um, I usually have to get a growler of to take home because if I drink too much of it there, I won't make it home and I feel really good, um, but it knocks me on my butt a little bit, but it's it's a really good beer and um, I'm looking forward to having some of that uh, this month.
1: That's
0: great, Simon, anything for you?
2: Well, I see something in the background in Simon's <laughs> office that I'm hoping he's gonna share.
1: Yeah, well, two things. If you work with me around the Coliseum, everybody would know by now that I'm addicted to iced coffee. So my brew in the morning, is uh is iced coffee and it's kind of I imagine that people laugh at me because I always have an iced coffee going and I kind of replenish it with ice all day so it it lasts most of the day but um I did uh actually have something to share and it's kind of one of the perks of uh um being a CFO sometimes and I guess doing relationships or being involved in relationships like this but um we had a whiskey rep um Mm -hmm. in the other day trying to put uh and have their whiskey sold in Club 35 downstairs. And so because of all that, they were actually sharing some of their fare and uh, our concessionaire dropped off a bag of some samples that I'll get to this weekend. But uh, the name of the whiskey is Rimfire Whiskey. I don't know a lot about it, but I do know that it has West Virginia ties, but they also um, do all these canned beverages. And the ones that were dropped off to me this week, Trailhead Tea, Mountain Mule, Lakeside Lemonade, and Crooked Cola. And they're all infused with Mountain Whiskey, with Cola, or tea and lemonade. Um, And it's a little bit more my style, the heavy beers I've gone away from as I've aged. And so I like something with a little taste. And uh, so I look forward to trying Rimfire Whiskey um, craft cocktails this weekend. Hey, that's probably an NIL opportunity. Ken. There you go. Um, yeah, so totally. <laughs> they probably owe me one here. But uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I like a good uh, uh, mixed drink, and and these are kind of these uh, pre-made mixed drinks. That
2: sounds really good. Yeah, no,
0: that sounds great. And like you said, one of the perks of uh, you know working <laughs> with partners, working with others is uh, <laughs> getting to to share in some of their fare. Um, so I was just going to share, uh, you know, Katie and I, one of our favorite local restaurants where we. Uh, dream up new things for News & Brews, as well as other, um, you know, other items in the collegiate athletics world is a place called Miapa, and uh, it's a Cuban restaurant, and um been loving their Cortaditos, uh, which is a a nice sugary drink uh, with espresso and, and a little bit of milk in it and all of that, and um, had one of those this morning and really enjoyed it.
2: Wow. Yeah, Miappa is also really good. Those Cuban coffees will also um, get you going. So <laughs> get the
0: energy.
1: you have
2: to try that on ice. They're actually really good on ice, too. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's I'm addicted to iced coffee. I don't even know the last time I had a hot coffee. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Simon, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, It's been my pleasure and it's always good to catch up with you guys. And, you know, speaking of partnerships and relationships, I really appreciate the one that, that we have with you and uh, you know, it's been nothing but great. So I really do enjoy it.
2: Well, and we enjoy it as well. Thank you, Simon. And um, we know this will offer so many ideas to your peers. Um, And we've got more opportunities to share with our listeners that are up our sleeve in the next couple of months um, as it relates to doing more with less on capital projects, um, including some benefits on the Inflation Reduction Act. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you don't miss out on this important information. Thank you all for tuning in. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Cheers.
2: To learn more about the James Moore and Company Collegiate Athletics and Higher Education segments, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to sign up for insights to get our latest industry updates, news, and events delivered straight to your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at jmcohighered, and on LinkedIn for the latest news as the landscape of collegiate athletics and higher education is continually evolving.